Mr. Crossland scurried across the wet Great Tower Street in 1857 London. The clacking of the hansoms over the cobbled stones resonated around him as he dodged and walked between them in a calm manner. Today was like any other day. Walking a quarter mile from the office to sign export bonds at the Custom House. Mid-step walking in the street, he felt his whole body seize in terror. Cold excitement hit his blood. He was being hunted by the last predator you'd expect in the middle of Victorian London. A great beast with powerful jaws to rip him apart, stalking him, watching him. Without hesitation, he began to sprint down the street in full speed, pumping his arms and hastily looking around him. He cannot see it, but his instincts have kicked in so boldly, he cannot control his panic his chest becoming tighter as he huffs out breaths. The exertion is more than he is used to. His thighs burn as he presses his heels into the ground, ducking about the fellow pedestrians who look at him in confusion. He bursts open the doors of the custom house, pivoting around on his heel to firmly close them behind him. Breathing deeply and sweating, he then begins to laugh. The fear of being hunted was gone and the idea that he was about to be attacked by a wild animal in the middle of London, he admits to himself, is absurd. The next day, he picked up the morning paper only to feel wonder, staring at a featured article. A Bengal tiger was in mid-transport from the London docks. The door of its cage gave away. As the tiger sprung free into the crowd of people, Londoners ran, screaming, and a little boy was caught by the tiger being severely harmed. Mr. Crossland stared at the paper in disbelief. He was an avid spiritualist. He knew that about the same time he crossed the street yesterday and felt such dread was the exact moment the tiger was reported to have terrified the city street. The London docks were over a mile away from where Mr. Crossland had been standing when he felt the tiger hunting him. Did Mr. Crossland experience human nature of survival so far away? Or was it, to a degree, undirected telepathy? I'm Tasha Wheelhouse, and this is Copper Shock. I was done with college, but I still lived with roommates in a low-rent situation. I was saving up for my first house, and I didn't want to spend a lot on rent at the time. I chose a place that was not exactly dodgy, but it wasn't the best part of town. All the same, I decided it would do. I would share the master bedroom on the top floor with a deaf girl. Her name was Lizzie. She was incredibly sweet and was really good at making gestures to help me understand. Our room had a wooden balcony overlooking the backyard. Our backyard was gorgeous. It was a sort of public green space. It had a paved path that sat parallel to the houses, and weaved in and out of huge trees that rose up to forty feet. Just past the tree line was a river. It was maybe ten or twelve feet wide and slow-moving. One evening, one of the other roommates was sitting on the front room couch. She had her laptop open, and I gave her a friendly wave and said hello. She called over to me as I walked away. Lizzie cleaned the fridge. I think she made a shelf for you. 
I walked into the kitchen, which is openly part of the living room, too. This house was built in the 70s, and still had some of the same appliances from that era, too. Opening the fridge, I saw a blank shelf just for me. I didn't plan on putting food there at all. I kept all my food at my boyfriend's anyway. A note catches my eye on the counter. Hey guys, heads up. I have a restraining order against my boyfriend. He's not supposed to come here anymore. If a guy comes to the door insisting to see me, just call the cops. Thanks, Courtney. I stared at the note in disbelief. It even had a heart exclamation point after the word thanks. I wouldn't have been more surprised if the note had said, Hey, sorry, I drank some of your milk. I'll replace it tomorrow. Hey, I called over to the roomie on the couch. She looked up from her laptop. What's with the note? Oh, that's from Courtney. She's a moron. She gets into shouting matches with her boyfriend all the time. It's hella annoying because my room is just below hers. The roommate on the couch looked back at her computer, disinterested in continuing to talk, and went silent again, starting to type on her keyboard. I let the thought go, as it seemed that the most interesting part of it had passed. One week later, I was returning home at night in my car. Turning the corner of my street, a cop car passed me going the other direction. I tilted my head to the side, puzzled. There was something... off about that squad car. I couldn't put my finger on it. Turning the other street corner, it wasn't a couple of squad cars. My street was packed between the resident cars. Slowly I trailed up and down my street, looking for any opening to fit my tiny car. Whimsically, I began to count the squad cars. Nine, ten, eleven. I flipped my car around to drive to the next street over. Two more police cars cruised onto my street. I could tell you how many officers sat in each car because their headlights were turned off. Then it dawned on me, that first cop car I passed. Their headlights were off too. I sat in the street for a minute, watching the two new police cars pull into people's driveways and park. They walked around behind the row of houses into the backyard with the river. I briefly considered making the half-hour drive back to my boyfriend's, despite the time of night. I sighed. I was being overdramatic. So I opened my car door and grabbed my purse. It was a summer night and overcast. The only sound that could be heard was the rolling and bubbling of the river behind the houses. A slight breeze, too enough to make the leaves rattle on the branches, making them rustle and clack together. I take comfort in such sounds as I'm walking home. I feel my feet on the pavement and make a mental checkpoint in my head of where to make my next turn before I am on my street. After the turn, I strain my eyes to see if there are any more policemen within the vehicles, so I could tap on a window and ask what was going on. After passing my fourth empty police car, I decided to stop looking into the cop windows. That definitely looked suspicious at nighttime. I switched gears, minding my own business, and picked up the pace walking home. I clutch my phone in my hand, playing with it. I sigh, and unlock it to call my boyfriend. Hello? Hearing his voice, my nerves settle a little. 
My boyfriend has a propensity to just know random things. I've joked before that he's my walking human Wikipedia. I asked him what would cause multiple police cars in a residence to drive around without headlights and drive really slow. My guess? A manhunt. He says right away. Manhunt? Right. If someone is dangerous, hiding, or the criminal is trying to outrun police. If I told you how many police cars were around my house, what number would alarm you? He became quiet, and then asked more sternly. Are there a bunch around your house? Yes. How many? I didn't want to lie to him, but I knew the answer would worry him. Sixteen? <sighs> Maybe you should come back here and stay the night with me. Just leave an extra hour early tomorrow, so you can get ready before driving into work. I groaned inwardly. The idea about taking another half hour to drive back to where I just came from, and then wake up an hour early? <laughs> that sealed the deal. I was too exhausted to take that plan of action. I perked up my voice on the phone to sound more pleasant than what I felt. I'm positive I'll be fine. I mostly called you to wish you good night. I'm home safe from my drive. Okay, come back here if you need to. I will. Love you. Love you too. I hung up the phone, continuing to walk in silence. Hearing the pat, pat, pat of my feet on the pavement kept me distracted. My mind drifted a little as I walked. Am I the fight-or-flight type? If I keep thinking this stupid thought over and over about a crazy man in the woods by the river of my house, will I go crazy and attack another unfortunate pedestrian in fear it's the stranger? I place my car key in between my middle fingers, making a fist. Stupidly, I call it Wolverine Fist in my head, sort of chuckling to myself as I walk. Turning the last corner, I looked up and felt a lead ball drop in my stomach. A shadow. A large one move and duck down the alley where my front door is. The street lights are old and orange, making it more hazy than illuminating to define what I just saw. In vain, I look into the next cop car, only to find this one empty too. My heart is beating wildly, but I'm just seeing things because I want to see them. There it was again. Only this time, it was more subtle, like a head poking around the corner than disappearing. This is the last place the guy they are looking for would go. Over a dozen police radios and cars all sat around me on the street. In defiance, I begin to walk again, almost with a march in my step. I am fifteen feet from turning into the alley, and I find myself pausing again. Fear cemented my feet to where they were, straining my ears to hear anything unusual. But, as before, I just heard the river and the rocking of the trees beyond the alley to the backyard. I quietly rearrange my key ring into my palm, as I then notice that I'm pressing my car key so hard into my hand it almost cuts my skin. I get my front door key ready, and walk forward again. 
As I am about to turn the corner, I almost slap my forehead when I realize I have a flashlight on my phone. I shine it around the alley between the two houses, making a mad dash for the front door, feeling as though the shadow could be on my heels, my throat tightening as my hand shook to get the key in the lock. I feel the deadbolt give away with the click and rushed through the door, slamming it behind me. My thoughts cleared again as I was safely behind the locked door. There was no one there. Feeling stupid, but still cautious, I locked my bedroom door behind me, then drew the curtains as best I could. Among other repairs needed for the house, the blinds to the balcony was one of them. I turned on all the lights since Lizzie wasn't home yet, and checked throughout our walk-in closet and personal bathroom. Feeling at ease again, I laid back in bed and drifted asleep. I heard a chunk-chunk noise tugging at my balcony door. I was too afraid to turn over in my bed and look. The chunk-chunk-chunk noise happened again. Sitting up, I saw a man bracing against the sliding door handle. He was trying to pull it open. He looked up at me and seemed startled to find me staring him down. Fight or flight? Neither. I just started feeling all the blood drain from my face and sat so still. The man smiled. I slowly pulled out my phone. He saw that I was dialing and hopped off my balcony to the ground again, taking off running. I moved out of the house a month later and am happily in my newly bought house, which, by the way, has an alarm security system. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you enjoyed this as I release stories here weekly at Copper Shop. They may be based on true events or fictional. This recording is available on podcast. Please check out any additional content on our Copper Shock Facebook page. See you next week. <laughs>